0: now let's take our Bibles and turn to the text that Terry read for us earlier. That's found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the week of Thanksgiving. And it is, as I've said before, sometimes, and it seems in our culture, the forgotten holiday. Forgotten holiday because we... As a culture, look past Thanksgiving, they put our minds on Black Friday. Yeah, I heard the groan, and I agree with that, brother. But we don't want to forget Thanksgiving. How could we as believers ever forget Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving for us is not one Thursday in November. It's every day on the calendar. Now and for all eternity, we have absolute reason to give thanks. Give thanks to God. Every day should be thanksgiving. And another thing about us as believers, I think the Lord wants us to understand, is not only should every day be thanksgiving, but every day we should be causing thanksgiving. Greatest way to celebrate Thanksgiving is to cause it, is to cause it in someone else's life. And uh, I want us this morning as we get started just to say thanks to so many of you who are causing Thanksgiving in a special way this week. Uh, Take just a few minutes as uh, we celebrate uh, causing some Thanksgiving by God's grace uh, this week through your offering of the Gift boxes and uh, Cindy, uh, who's director of our community care ministry, is going to share this at this time. Hi, I'm Cindy Reynolds, Community Care Connections Director here at Westburn. We were so blessed this year to collect 310 Thanksgiving boxes to impact those around us in our church family and the community Cedar Brook. We were thankful for the many volunteers, the Bread of Life Food Pantry, Community Care Team, Communications Team, and also our volunteers who nominated those in need this year. First Thessalonians says, "Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you." Thank you for your help, and we also praise God and thank Him for His blessings to our church and our community around us. All right, give thanks to the Lord, Ben. That's right. Over 300 of those boxes that went out because of your provision, and so thank you. Thank you, and you can imagine this. This week, Thanksgiving is going to be a little brighter for a lot of families in our community uh, because of your giving. We We have caused some thanksgiving, but it's all through God, right? It's all through Him, and He receives all the glory. So this morning, we're going to think about causing thanksgiving. We're doing that in relationship to the focus that we've had in our teaching here on Sunday mornings in this month of November... And also for a few, last Sunday in October, we're talking about a stewardship reformation. A stewardship reformation. Now this course is the 500th anniversary as it's thought of as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, 1517. And we thank God for the incredible, credible work of His grace which changed uh, Europe, changed our country eventually through what God had done hundreds of years before, actually the beginning of our nation, but also spread out to touch the world, reclaiming of the gospel. And so we've talked about that in light of the big picture of what God has done, but also about our own personal reformation. Reformation is something that we constantly need to be doing we constantly need to be reforming ourselves on Christ and on His will for our lives as He reveals it in His Scripture through the Holy Spirit. Personal reformation is simply obeying Jesus when He says, follow me, follow me. If every day that is our true north, every day that is our compass, follow Jesus, my friend, you will experience... Reformation, reformation day by day. Reformation should touch every area of our life as a Christian. And it also needs to touch how we think about holidays such as Thanksgiving and Christmas. Needs to reform Thanksgiving and reform Christmas. And we're talking about that now this month. And also we'll begin just a couple of weeks. We'll be in the Advent season thinking about how our lives are reformed on the Advent of Christ. But As we think about reforming Thanksgiving, it really has to do with causing Thanksgiving. We reform Thanksgiving when we see that God has blessed us to be a part of causing Thanksgiving thanksgiving That's true stewardship reformation. Now, all we've said thus far is based on the principles of God's word. And the key principle about having stewardship reformation is from our text back in Proverbs chapter 3. It's the overarching message of the Bible about stewardship. And what is stewardship? Stewardship is, simply means management. It means that we understand a division of responsibilities when we understand that God is owner and we are manager. If we keep that straight, life works really well. But it's when managers start acting like owners that you're going to have problems, and we will have problems. Stewardship is recognizing the ownership of God and how we manage what is His that He has placed into our hands, the stewardship He's given to us of the resources entrusted to us. Now, Proverbs chapter 3 is the text that we've looked at, and I'll just remind you of that again as we look at Proverbs chapter 3. Here's the overarching principle in the New Testament verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now what we've said is that stewardship, whether it is financial resources, whether it is other types of tangible resources God has given to you, is to be guided by a principle, a practice that leads you to know God's promise fulfilled and the privilege experienced. Let me give that to you again. Number one, what's the principle? Honor the Lord. The Lord first. Honor God in your life. God first in everywhere, every way. That's the principle over all things honor the lord and out of that comes the practice the practice is offer the first fruits to god when it comes to your resources what god has put in your hand do not take it all first and meet all of your needs and take care of all of your wants that's not what the lord says he says honor me by this practice give to me the first fruits in return to me in worship of all that I've given to you. That's the practice. But that practice comes with God's promise. What's the promise? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. He says, Your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will burst forth with fresh wine. Meaning, in that economy, that agricultural economy, I'm going to provide for what you need in the barn. I'm going to provide for your vineyards. I'm going to take care of your needs. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide for my people. That's the principle. Honor the Lord. The practice. Give to Him the first fruits of all that He gives to you. You will know the promise He will provide. And out of that, you... Experience God. That's the privilege. You experience God by experiencing Him as Jehovah Jireh. You know Him as your God in new and fresh ways as He has provided for you. Jehovah Jireh is not just a word on a page in the Bible for you any longer. It's the living reality of your God at work in your life. And then you express Jehovah Jireh. See, as you are generous, as we are generous, we cause the blessing of God to be experienced by others. What happens? We get in on the joy of the Lord. The Lord is a giver, right? And out of his heart, he experiences incredible joy in giving. And when we join him in that giving, we experience Jehovah-Jireh and we are expressing Jehovah-Jireh and his joy to ourselves and to those who receive the blessing that's the overarching theme of stewardship in the Bible it's about causing thanksgiving when we are ex- expressing Jehovah-Jireh in generosity we are causing thanksgiving thanksgiving Now, that's Paul's message. Turn to our text now that Terry read for us earlier. That is Paul's message here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. His message to the church at Corinth, he's talking about causing thanksgiving. Now, here's our text. Remember our context, okay? Because it's always important to know what's going on around what is being said. Remember, here's the context. Paul is taking an offering. He's been taking an offering for almost two years as he goes to the various Gentile churches in Galatia, the area of Turkey, Asia Minor, over into Macedonia, northern modern Greece, down into Achaia, southern modern Greece, He is taking an offering. What's the offering for? It's for the Jewish believers. The Messianic Jews. The Jews who have believed in Yeshua HaMashiach in Judea. Who are persecuted. Cast out of their synagogues. Many of them losing their occupations. They're impoverished. And so Paul wants... To demonstrate the grace of God in something that has never happened before in the history of the world. Gentile people giving love offerings to Jewish people. Overwhelming, huge, century-long barriers of racism. Obliterating it. Tearing down walls of hatred for the glory of Christ out of this offering that's going to demonstrate the miraculous presence of a God of grace who has made of people so different one new people. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, Paul's imagery, as he's using 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, both of these chapters, are about this offering. The imagery he uses is about the imagery of a harvest. It fits perfectly with Thanksgiving time for us. It's the imagery of a harvest, and it's the imagery of the harvest in our hearts and the hearts of others. Okay? You follow me? So Paul's going to use imagery that everybody can understand. It's the imagery of harvest. And he's going to apply it to the fields of our hearts and the fields of other people's hearts. Now, here's how he does it. He's talking about this offering. Notice, first of all, he talks about the participation in the harvest. The participation in the harvest. And what he's going to say... (laughs) Very simply is this, folks. The fall's harvest is determined by the spring planting. The fall's harvest is determined by the spring planting. He says it this way. As he says in verse 6, I want you to consider, here's his point, consider the proportional measure of how you're going to participate. As you think about giving to this offering, Paul says, I want you to consider the the proportional measure of your participation. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Don't you like it when a preacher finally gets to the point? (laughs) The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, what's Paul doing here? He's expressing an axiom. It is a self-evident truth. Something so clear it needs no explanation. It guides all of life. He cites the law of sowing and reaping which God has put into the DNA, listen carefully, of all the physical and spiritual life on this planet. It's all about sowing and reaping. Physically, God created seeds. And those seeds contain the life of the harvest to come, the plants to come. He's created that as an illustration Also, of spiritual life as well. That is is in life spiritually. That is yielded to Him. That the harvest comes. This is used over and over in the Bible. What does the Bible teach us? Whatever a man sows what? That will he also reap. You will seep. You will reap what you sow. You will reap more than you sow. You will reap later than you sow. But you will reap what you sow. Whatever you sow with your life, that is what you're going to reap. That's the axiom here. And Paul's using it related to this offering. And so we need to let the law of sowing and reaping guide your giving. That's what Paul is saying here. You understand he's taking the law of sowing and reaping and he's applying it to Christian generosity. But now notice this. After having said that, immediately Paul says something like this. Before you give your money, we might put it this way make sure you take a cardiogram. Before you give your money, examine your heart. Paul says this, verse 7, he says, consider the personal motive of your participation. He says, I want you to know this truth. What you sow, you will reap. You sow plentifully, you will reap plentifully. But more importantly, he says, I want you to consider the personal motive. Verse number. Seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. More than God is concerned about the amount. Remember, he doesn't need the money. God's okay. He's doing all right. He's not so concerned about the amount as he's concerned about the heart. You remember Jesus saw a very poor widow putting in a little fraction of a penny. And what did he say? This poor widow has put in more than all the rich men and women because out of her poverty. She's given her very existence to God. It's a total act of worship. God's concerned about our heart. Friends, always remember, (laughs) always remember, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And at the heart of all things, listen carefully, at the heart of all things is your view of God. At the heart of all things is how you view God. A person will live his or her life based on how he or she views God. Absolutely, unquestioned, a person will live out their theology. Their theology that they speak may not be with the theology that they act, but the theology that they act is their theology. A person always lives based on what he or she believes about God. Now, let me tell you, at the heart, listen carefully, of your joy, though, at the heart of your joy is not your view of God. You may have a very theologically correct view of God, but the heart of your joy is more than your view of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, the heart of your joy in mine is how you feel regarding God. And I am saying that with every ounce of deliberateness in my body. Your joy will be determined by how you feel about God. Some people have a very accurate view of God up here theologically, but it hasn't moved 18 inches to the heart. How you feel about God will determine your joy. Now, let me tell you how this works and what Paul is saying. To a generous Christian, to a generous Christian, God feels like a giver. To a generous Christian, God feels to them like a giver. To a selfish Christian, and in reality, that ought to be a contradiction in terms, right? Selfish Christian. To a selfish Christian, God feels like a taker. To a generous Christian, that Christian feels in his heart, her heart, my God has given to me. He's a giver. He's not holding back. He is freely giving me Christ. He's not withholding anything. He is going to provide for me. That's my God. God's a giver. And they feel it. And they respond with generosity because they don't think they have to defend their finances. They don't think they have to plan for every eventuality. They don't think that they've got to keep it, every bit of it. Why? Because they've got a bank account bigger than any 401k, 403b, Sipa, XYZ, onomatopoeia, whatever you want to call it. They've got an account with the Lord of heaven who's a giver. That changes everything. A generous Christian feels that God's a giver. And a selfish Christian feels God's a taker. Now, when you feel that God is a giver, that changes everything. That changes everything. So how does that get changed? Well, you've got to go to the Lord and talk about that. You've got to get into his word so you know him, know his heart, and begin to operate by that principle, honor the Lord. Operate by that practice, see him fulfill his promise, and see what he does in your heart. But when you know that God's a giver, that changes everything. Then you know that God is a provider. You know that he's a provider. When you know that he's a giver, you know that he's a provider, and now you can enter into the provision of the harvest. The provision of the harvest. Now, Paul, he's talking about the harvest. He talks about their participation, verses 6 and 7. Now, notice in verses 8 down through verse 11, he talks about God's provision. And he makes two promises about God. Notice he makes two promises. What are they? Number one, he says, Number one, God is able. God is able. <laughs> God is able, verse 8, to make all grace abound to you. Now stop there for a moment. Grace there doesn't mean saving grace. That's not what it means in this context. Grace here in this context means a gracious gift. What it means in this context is literally money. That's what it means. You might want to mark in your Bible, God is able to make all grace. It's a gracious gift. It means money or resources. That's what it means here. God is able to make all gracious resources abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now notice what he's saying. God is able. God's able. You can't explain how it's going to happen. You can't calculate how it's going to happen. God is able to make some of his resources flow into your life so that what's going to happen? Number one, he's going to provide for your needs. Look at verse number eight. You will have all sufficiency In all things, at all times. It means God's going to provide. You'll have sufficient for your needs. Sometimes that means God's people, your brothers and sisters, are going to give some of God's resources to see that your needs are met. But your needs are going to be met. It flows from God. So what's God's first thing that He's going to do with putting resources into your bank account? He wants you to have sufficiency. He wants you to enjoy His resources. God freely gives us all things to enjoy. But also, secondly, He provides for you so that you will have an opportunity for godly generosity. He wants you to have an opportunity for godly generosity. Look at verse 9. Verse 8. In all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That good work has to do with this offering. It has to do with generosity, specifically. Verse 9, as it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. For years and years and years, I incorrectly read that verse and interpreted that verse. And if it's messed up in your mind, I'll clear it up this morning. Verse 9 is not talking about God. When it says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's not talking about God. How do we know that? Because Paul is quoting Psalm 112 verse 9. Where the psalmist is describing a godly man who is generous and gives to meet needs of others. And as a result, His righteousness, His act of righteousness is going to have an eternal expression and harvest. So what's He saying? God's going to provide you resources for yourself and He's going to provide you enough so that you will be able to also have an opportunity to give to others. God's able to do it. Let me tell you about Earl. You want to hear about Earl? One of my favorite guys. Susan and I came here almost 31 years ago. There was an older couple, sweet older couple. Earl and Evelyn Smith. Nobody could not like Earl Smith. Sense of humor. They love the Lord. So Faithful. So poor. They lived in a little tiny house that they rented off Pleasant Ridge Road. In 1988, we started our giving emphasis toward the building of our first building. Some of you are seated in part of it right now. It's the inner part of this building we're in was our first building. Earl called me. He asked me to come over, teasingly, because I'd done that a few times before. He wanted me to have cornbread and beans with him. He, he said, my wife makes the best cornbread and beans, and boy, I'm telling you. I never told mom, but maybe even outdo mom, but I didn't tell mom. I was raised on cornbread and beans. After we had that, he took me on the porch. He took out his handkerchief. He started wiping his eye. He said, Pastor, we're so excited. About what God's doing. But you know. We just. We can't give much. But I prayed, Lord how can I. How can we. How can we do this. And he said you know. I've always had a little knack at. Working on things. So I've gone around to. Garage sales. And barn sales. And I've been buying radios and TV sets. And I've been fixing them up, and I've been selling them off my front porch. And he said, Pastor, I wish you could be more. I wish you could be more. But I want to give you this toward that building. He gave me a check from months and months of months of fixing radio and television. I held together. I got in that car, and I wept like a baby. I was humbled humbled that I could be pastor to a man and woman like that go forward 20 years I was preaching his funeral his daughter came up to me and said I've been talking to daddy want to make sure you got this and she said this is the last check he ever wrote It's his tithe on his social security check. Evelyn already in heaven. Wow. Would you say Earl Smith's a rich man? Boy, I would. His righteousness endures forever. God is able. God will supply. He will supply. Verse 10 it's God who supplies. He supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, folks, this is funny. And and if you don't think it through carefully, you won't see the humor. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's talking about a farmer in his day. And here's a farmer. You follow it. I'm not making this up. Okay, this, this is what it says. There's a farmer who's got his bag. He's walking down the furrows. He's scattering seed. He's scattering seed. As he walks, scattering seed, he's got another little bag. He's got some lunch in it. He's, 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 got, he's got some food. So he, he has some food, bread. He's got some bread. And as he continues to sow seed, he doesn't know it, but God's putting more seed in his bag. And he doesn't recognize There's going to be a harvest to come because while he was walking along sowing seed, God had provided the bread. Where did the bread come from? Last year's harvest. And he's enjoying the bread from last year's harvest. And while he's sowing out of his bag, God's putting into his bag. And so he's sowing what God's put into his bag and he's going to get another harvest. That is exactly what Paul is saying. Verse 10. He who supplies Seed to the sower. See the sower walking? Bread for food. Farmer eating his bread. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. God putting more seed in the bag. And the increase, the harvest of that godly man's righteousness. <laughs> that is awesome. Amen, Pastor Sam. Thank you very much. God bless you. I appreciate that. That was astounding. I don't do that very often, but I... Sometimes you've got to amen yourself. What's the harvest? Here's what I want to ask you. What is the harvest? And this is where we close... The harvest is Thanksgiving, but it's much more than Thanksgiving for the harvest. It's Thanksgiving is the harvest. Thanksgiving is the harvest. That's the harvest. And Paul describes what's going to happen. He says, this is what's going to happen. Here's the main point of the whole thing. Generosity causes a chain reaction of thanksgiving. That's what Paul's talking about. He calls it a harvest. Today, we could go to Oak Ridge and we could call it a chain reaction. All right? Follow me? That's pretty good too. But it's a chain reaction. It's, It's a chain reaction of thanksgiving. I mean, it's unbelievable. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. You're going to have all your need to be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. Who's he talking about? Those Jewish believers in Judea who are going to get on their knees and sing hymns and praises and worship God for the thanksgiving that's been brought. And they'll offer thanks to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, what is that? That's preacher talk for an offering. This offering is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What is it? It is an act of worship. You are causing thanksgiving. You are going to, by your generation, enter into causing people thousands of miles away to worship God and glorify God. Verse 13. By their approval, their, their recognition of this offering, they will, what's the next words? Glorify God. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. This all flows out of the gospel. And they're going to glorify God because they see the gospel at work in Gentiles. Verse 14, and they're going to long for you. And they're going to pray for you because of the surpassing, what? Grace of God upon you. It's all going to come back to you. They're going to pray for you. The people you bless are going to bless you. And God's going to be over the whole thing saying, look, look at my family, Jews, Gentiles. Look at what My Son has done on the cross. Look at what He has accomplished by His death and resurrection. Look what My Son has done on this earth. That's what it's about. All the nations. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ rejoicing in God their Father Through their common Savior, Christ. And it's all evidenced by generosity. Caused by generosity. Paul could see it. He could see it. (laughs) It hadn't happened yet, but he could see it. I want to tell you what I can see. I've been here 31 years. I wear glasses and contacts, but I can see it. I can see boys' and girls' lives changed by Jesus Christ. I can see lives that are never going to end up in the penitentiary. I can see broken homes redeemed. I can see generational curses stop. I can see, I can see the members of this church yet to come who are not even in the kingdom yet. I can see long after I'm gone and you're gone. A place on Middlebrook Pike that sends out light and truth. And the people will know there is a God who lives, who delivers who redeems, I can see it. And I want us all to be a part of it. And won't it be wonderful to be in heaven? We won't have to wait that long. It'll be awesome to have someone to say, thank you, thank you. just a minute, we're going to worship. Doug's going to come. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. In just a minute. Don't have to stand yet. And as we worship, Doug's going to give opportunity for people who want to give to the offering. Maybe you'd like to give by coming as an individual or a couple. And you'd like to just give. We use the Jehovah Jireh chest to receive the offering. If you'd like to come... Have a moment of prayer and give. He'll give you directions how to do that. You don't want to give that way. We fully understand. The ushers are at the back at every door. They have a bag. If you'd like to give your offering that way this morning, you can do that. And there's always the boxes out in the welcome center in the foyer. You can give that way. Do what God leads you to do. But it's a beautiful moment for people who want to come as we're going to sing and just give to the Lord. And he will direct us in doing that. We're going to stand and worship and give this offering. But as we stand, stand right now if you would please. Let me read to you. Let me read to you. What Solomon said about a special offering. First Chronicles 29.10 This is David. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honors come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer so willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own, we have given to you. And God's people said,